This is the Deep Exile Podcast. Q-card boy. Feel the energy. <laughs> it's coursing through my being. Telling you to go take a nap. <laughs> if I start snoring, just uh, turn down my mic and let me sleep. You're on your own channel. As long as it's not loud, snoring won't have any bleed. No coughing or sneezing is allowed. All right. Okay. It's November 2008, and this is the Deep Exile podcast number nine. I am David Helpling. And I'm John Jenkins. Welcome to the podcast. This is sort of a non-podcast. We're really going to use podcast number nine as a vehicle to share with you a radio interview. That's right. For KKUP, which is in Cupertino, California, home of Apple computers, our favorite computers in the whole world. Love Apple computers. So yeah, we were excited to do this interview with Steve Davis at KKUP in Cupertino. Uh, The name of his program is Neptune Currents. It airs weekly, I think Sunday mornings, on KKUP. So we did this interview with Steve Davis to coincide with our concert in Berkeley, California. So this interview aired one time and uh, would have been gone forever, but Steve Davis was kind enough to let us um, put the interview on this podcast for all of you to hear. So here is the Steve Davis interview from KKUP. So this morning we have an interview with... Musicians David Helpling and John Jenkins, who record for the Spotted Peccary music label. You both have had a string of fine solo albums, and uh, David, uh, your extensive film soundtrack work as well. And I think your styles complement each other well on Treasure. How did you guys come to collaborate on Treasure? Well, being on the same record label, we spent a lot of time in the same place, in the same studio. And I would run into John working on music and, you know, I'd walk by the studio door and hear some very interesting sounds coming from John. And I was always very curious and slightly jealous as to what he was doing because his stuff sounded totally amazing. Yeah, we'd known each other for a while and uh, as we were working on our solo albums and I think we met in probably 96 or something. And I think equally we've, we've admired each other's work. I think we're both um, doing similar things musically, so we recognize that. So it's just natural that we would want to work on something together at some point. I think if we hadn't been forced to collaborate, we would have collaborated anyway. Right. I think it would have happened, because I think, you know, without getting too weird, I think it's sort of supposed, we're supposed to be doing what we're doing now. Yeah, right. And by forced, David means that we were forced to collaborate. Not at gunpoint. Not at gunpoint, but uh, we were um, asked to collaborate by a filmmaker by the name of Chris Cummings. So Chris asked us to collaborate on some music for his film. Of course, we said yes, and we got into the studio together and started working on some things for the film and very quickly realized that we were working pretty well together and coming up with some music that was really actually too good for the film. Yeah, and beyond that, things were seeming far too easy. You know, here we are working on a movie. We sit down and music happens. We're not sitting around thinking the music is just happening. We're trying to keep up with it. And a lot of the stuff we came up with wasn't exactly appropriate to support what the film was doing. 
So we would take those ideas and stuff them in a folder. And at some point we said, yeah, we should do an album. And, it, and I think even early on, we said, we should do an album and it'll be called Treasure. Yeah. It right. just sort of happened. Yeah. So here's this folder with all of these, you know, pretty cool ideas that never made it to the film. Right. So that's where Treasure came from. And, and this is back in like 2000. Opening up those sessions from 2000 was really in- interesting and fun. But to open up those ideas and bring them into what we were currently interested in was a really fun process. And a lot of things started to explode rapidly in the studio. Yeah. A couple of the tracks on the record are actually pretty much unchanged from when we did them in 2000. Yeah, I think there's two tracks that that stayed pretty much intact. And then some of them are completely different. If we played you the original version from from eight years ago, you wouldn't recognize it at all. No. It's amazing the uh, the roads that we travel down when you're writing music and you end up at a place that is nothing like where you started. Describe how you got into music. Did either of you have a musical childhood? Yeah, um, when I was a kid, there was always music around the house. Uh, my mother was a music teacher, so there was always music around. I took some lessons, but not a whole lot. I, I didn't really enjoy lessons, so basically taught myself how to play things. I didn't really come into music very seriously till I was older. There wasn't a lot of instruments in the house other than piano. And um, I think it was when I picked up the guitar and going into high school and discovering effects processors and delays and being an avid fan of U2 that I started to go down the space guitar road. When I hear your music, I am reminded sometimes of Patrick O'Hearn's music. I take it that he is or was an influence on either or both of you. What are some of your other musical influences? Yeah, absolutely. And I've said this before in interviews, if I had not heard Ancient Dreams, whatever year that was that that came out in the 80s, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Because I heard that album and it and it just completely blew my mind. See, I didn't I didn't start listening to O'Hearn until I had a good friend of mine named Steven said, you've got to listen to this guy, Patrick O'Hearn. And I think I started listening at Indigo. So that was the first record I heard. And then I went backwards to Between Two Worlds and Ancient Dreams. And I loved all of it. I was like, this is the kind of stuff I like doing. So I think there's just um, a little kindred uh, desire for a certain kind of music. I think I have some things in common with Patrick as far as what I'm after and what I want to say with music. Yeah, I mean, Patrick O'Hearn... Steve Roach, Brian Eno, Tangerine Dream, these guys are all pioneers. And they were the first to go down the road that we are now traveling. And so they, they kind of laid the foundation. And so, yeah, there, there are probably similarities in our music because they're, they showed the way. I remember hearing that album and just being completely blown away because all of a sudden, here's a guy who's doing this incredible music and it's, it's falling in that zone where that was missing, like between, between Tangerine Dream and Shadow Facts. And he's like filling the zone that nobody else was doing that. And all of a sudden you could be doing instrumental music and it's really cool. I think Patrick was not afraid to create bold, in-your-face, dramatic uh, instrumental music. And no one at that time was doing that. Yeah. And still there are very few people that are doing what Patrick started to do and is still doing. Some other musical influences for me, I was really into the progressive rock side of things. Pink Floyd, Genesis, Peter Gabriel, Marillion, of course, Tangerine Dream. 
Um, but also, you know, really into things like Metallica. Yeah. Queensryche. Nice. <laughs> well, I, just on this subject, sometimes, especially lately, I miss the 80s so much that it hurts. So, I, you know, I grew up listening to U2, and that was my reason for picking up the guitar and doing something with it other than what rock and roll had done with the guitar all through the 60s and the 70s. So U2 was a big influence on how to make different sounds with my guitar. Listening influences is always a difficult question because we're influenced by so many different things. It can be, we could sit here and say, yeah, Pink Floyd, Genesis, Marillion for me, U2 for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I go as far as um, orchestral music and film scores, Miriam Stockley, U2, Metallica, mm-hmm. Queensryche, Ice House. Yeah. I mean, the influences are so broad. How much direct influence they have on the music you make is completely different. Yeah, and and I think that if you look at all these things that we're listing, what they have in common is that they're all very visual. They're all looking for um, that sense of magic and wonder. They're all very intense. Yeah, these are very striking, unavoidable um, works. These are things that you don't just listen to in the background. Right. I think all all the influences we talk about our music that has a very big impact when you listen to it. And visual, yeah, is a good word. And for that matter, I'm also, you know, we could sit here and say that we're influenced by an amazing sunset in the mountains or we're influenced by, you know, an awesome day in the desert. These are all things that we try to capture in the music. So we're influenced by a lot of different things in life. What have you guys been listening to lately? Any recent releases by other musicians that you think really stand out? I don't get a whole lot of time to listen to a lot of music. Stuff I've heard recently um, within the last few years that I really enjoyed and continue to enjoy. Um, Radiohead, that last Radiohead album was great. I love all their stuff. Seeger Rose, the things they're doing are incredible. Oh my gosh, Seeger Rose. Um, Blows my mind. I thought that that last Rush album, Snakes and Arrows, loved that album. I listened to it every day for like a year. It was burning up your iPod. It was. <laughs> but for the most part, I don't have a lot of time to listen to a lot of music these days. Uh, you know, Ulrich Schnauss, the stuff he's done is oh, awesome. Um, his album, Goodbye, yeah. is just amazing. Like John, I have very little time to do any recreational listening of music. It usually consists of a song or two between other things I'm doing. And the uh, I like Hammock very much. And the most recent release, which I feel is quite a bit deeper and more ambient than the first two, is really uh, speaking to me. You know, it's almost all guitar. So that's been something I've been listening to. Treasure feels very much like a musical journey. Did you consciously create uh, or arrange the music that way? The cover image of a cave is very striking image and metaphor. What meanings or associations do you have with this music? With me, when I'm working on music, it always ends up being a journey. It always ends up, the album ends up having a theme. You know, it's a journey from, from beginning to end, and it's intended to be listened to as an album instead of just a bunch of tracks that are put together onto a collection. You know, I'm, I'm a little different from John in that way. When, I, when I'm writing, each song is essentially an island, but all of the songs came from a certain place that I was feeling that time or that year. 
So they all definitely belong on the same record. They came from the same thrust and the same drive to create something like that. But with Treasure, almost immediately when we got back into production, it was very clear that this was more of a concept record. And there was a journey. The track listing and the order of the songs were almost automatic. We had to do what was there because there was an introduction to the world. There was a diving down deep into it. There was a revelation and an experience and an emergence and a goodbye. And that said, you know, we didn't sit down and specifically intend to do that. It just came together that way. And like David said, it happened very quickly. And even as we were working on the songs, not even the songs weren't finished, but we would look at each other and say, this has got to be the last track on the record. Or this is definitely the opening titles. This is track one. So by the time the the album was done, we had very little choice as to how the story was going to be told because everything was laid out for us by the music that we created. As far as the cover goes, um, it's a great image. We tried a few different things, but that one kept coming back and clearly... Uh, the more we looked at it as we were finishing the music, it, I mean, that image just said treasure. You know, that's that's the image for the music. Yeah, we we were trying some different concepts with art, and that one rose to the top very quickly. And before we knew it, it was calling to us all the time. And we would be working on the mixes, and that, that was clearly the image to speak what the music was about. I don't think that we can, either of us can specifically say what it means to see this giant cavern and the light peering through, and this small individual experiencing that. But it spoke to us, and it was clearly the perfect image to represent the music. Some musicians, like Harold Budd, for instance, create titles first before creating music. Other musicians tend to create titles afterwards. How did you create your track titles? I always have a hard time with the titles, and for me, I put it off to the very last minute if I can. This whole record and treasure sort of came together and everything happened effortlessly, except for the titles. Yeah, right. I remember the songs being almost finished, and we're sitting there looking at all of our title ideas, trying to make sure we really really gave a name to what the song was trying to say. And because we're so deeply connected to the music, and because we're two different people, deciding on one name to represent an entire piece of music um, was tough. Yeah. You know, the songs have meaning and they have, they, they represent feelings and emotions and things that aren't really expressed well in words. That was our whole problem. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about this song all day long and we knew exactly how it feels and what we're trying to say. But to put that into one or two words is almost impossible. Yeah. And so, that's, that's a tricky thing with instrumental music because you don't have a, you know, a chorus and a verse and a words to title the song. You're not actually speaking an idea. It's very easy to come up with a name that we like that sounds great, but then you listen to the music and it somehow seems false. So, yeah, it was really tough. But the answer is no. We didn't name the songs until they were officially finished. How do you go about creating music? Can you summarize the process of creating Treasure? A recent interview on the Echoes program indicated that you use non-conventional sound sources including, uh, in one case, using a birdcage as a percussion sound. Do you actively look for unusual sounds and or sample food? Well, I, I am very interested in what things sound like. I'll be walking around outside and I will run my hands along an iron gate and I hear this sound and I go, wow, that sounds really cool. Or I'm at um, 
an import store and I find this big clay pot and I smack it in a certain way and it sounds like an amazing instrument. So I get excited by physical things that make sound. We both love synthesizers and we like creating sounds on synthesizers, but there's something about taking found sounds and manipulating them and recording them into creating our own virtual instruments that we can play. Not only to have a sound that is unique to the entire record, but to have something that can express a certain tonality or something that is not a easily recognizable instrument. I don't think it's important, but it is really fun to create a sound that doesn't sound like anything. And that birdcage didn't sound like a piano. It didn't sound like a dulcimer. It didn't sound like a guitar. And I wasn't sure at first if we were going to be able to use it on the record. All the stuff David's talking about is true, but it's um, the music always comes first. We're focused on creating the music. We're not focused on, we got to use this sound, right? We're just trying to create interesting and profound music. And a lot of times I will come across a sound that I find is interesting and I will spend an entire day in a recording session sampling and recording this instrument. Then I will spend an entire another day programming and creating something we can play from the keyboard. And it's just sitting there and I say, hey, John, check out the sound I made. And he goes, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> or he goes, wow, that would sound so great in this track yeah. or whatever. So sometimes the sounds are already created out of, out of a passion to experiment with sound. Some of them become um, voices to speak what we're saying. Some of them never get heard. And in the case of the birdcage, we were, I think we were really struggling. That's a grand collision, right? Yes. We were really struggling with that track. And we had this middle section and... We didn't know what to put in there. And I think out of desperation, we just said, well, we've tried everything else. Let's pull up that birdcage and see what it does. And I, I remember you saying that. And I was like, the birdcage? Are you serious? Yeah. Do you know what's happening in this track at this point in time? The birdcage sounds like some kind of giant plucked trash can. <laughs> and, and John pulled it up and he put it through this reverb and it was amazing. And um, I, I was so surprised and excited that that instrument became part of the record. There's really no way to explain how it happens. It just happens. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're sitting down and when David and I collaborate on material, we're basically, we're pretty much sitting side by side with a blank slate and we're, we're both interacting, bouncing ideas off of each other. David will play something and he might think that what he played is not interesting and I'll hear something in what he did and I'll say wait 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 a minute do that again you know that happens often where one of us would play something um, completely mindless where we were not trying to do anything we just lay our hands on an instrument or play a pattern or a phrase and it somehow triggers something in the other artist something blasé may happen in my world John freaks out thinks it's amazing he tells me why it's amazing in the context of the track now I think it's amazing. If one of us were just sitting in a room by ourselves, that moment would have passed, would not have been pursued. Right. That, to me, is one of the most exciting things about collaborating. A lot of people, when they collaborate on records, they're in two different cities. And one guy will put down his parts and then send the files off to the other guy and he'll add some stuff to it. But you don't get that interaction where that spark happens and you, you come up with things that, that neither one of you would have come up with on your own. That is where the magic happens. The slogan, Music is Art, is also the name of the fine 
podcast series that focuses on music from the Spotted Peccary family of labels. I think ambient and electronic music are not taken as seriously by the press and public as they could or should be. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? I think it's all perception. I think that the public does take the music seriously. They just don't know that they do. You hear people talking about that awesome track that they heard in this commercial or in a film. There's so many labels on music today. A lot of times it's called new age or ambient or electronic. And to some people, that's a turnoff before they even hear the song. But I think when people hear the music, they respond to it. It's just getting them to know that they're responding to this kind of music that's the trick. I don't know. I think the labels get in the way a lot of times. And that's, that's you know, music is art. It is art. I mean, that's that's really all it is. It's just all art. If you look at it that way, you open yourself up to all kinds of different things and you'll discover much more. If you're walking through a museum, you see a painting that you like, you like it. You see a painting that doesn't speak to you, you move on. But if there were galleries and they said, here, all the ambient paintings are in this room, all the electronic paintings are in this room, you're going to hinder yourself before you even get a chance to experience something. I think we ran across a challenge with treasure because as soon as the album was done and we're selling it and we have all these people talking to us and they want to do interviews and they would say, well, what kind of music is this? And I think simply calling it ambient is only one part of it. Calling it electronic is one part of it. In ambient music, there's a kind of polarity, you might say, between the qualities of repose and urgency. For examples, let's say Steve Roach's Structures from Silence as embodying repose, while BT's This Binary Universe could be seen as having urgency. Some people have the notion that ambient music is a kind of relaxation music only, but there's a whole wide range of expression. I think Treasure has both of these qualities, a sense of repose and urgency. What are your thoughts on this? Wow, Steve, that is a very great question and a great insight into this kind of music. And uh, yeah, you know, Treasure does have a sense of repose and urgency because Treasure is an album. It's not one song. So there is definitely a push and pull through the listening experience itself. Again, it comes back to what we were talking about with the labels. I mean, it's not ambient. It's not new age. It's not electronic. It's, it's all these things. Everyone has rules for what they think is exciting their level of what they think is relaxing so everyone takes a different experience back from listening to a record like this it's the push and the pull that makes the listening experience so intense and has such a profound effect on people that's good to me that range of expression is what makes things interesting and while i i have to say that i think that both this binary universe and Structures from Silence are, are completely both brilliant albums. And both of those albums mean more because of each other. You know what I mean? Exactly. Steve's Structures from Silence is a brilliant album because of BT's This Binary Universe and vice versa. It's the range that makes things interesting. If all albums sounded like BT or all albums sounded like Steve Roach music wouldn't be interesting. And that same range is happening within Treasure itself, within the different songs that create the whole record. 
What can concertgoers expect of your live performance of Treasure? Any visual component to the show? Bringing Treasure to the stage has had its challenges. Yeah, when we created the album, we had no intention of ever playing it live. That said, we've pushed ourselves and we've uh, decided to do this and we've taken it far beyond anything I ever dreamed that we could do. And yes, there's a visual component. We have video playing, we have lighting. Um, we're playing songs that I never thought could be played live and they all sound great. It, I'm very excited about it. We've taken a lot of time in finding ways to interpret the songs to the stage and how we can perform these. And some really interesting things are happening that you'll only understand if you see it on stage. We played a few live shows over the summer, but this is the first time we get to perform the music in the way that we want to without restriction. We're trying some things that we haven't tried before. We're playing instruments that we've only been playing for a certain period of time in this way. And there's a lot of experimentation going on and it's very exciting. Yeah, we brought in Matthew Stewart to play the drums. He is the most amazing musician I've ever met. And in our world, and with this Treasure Live experience, he is the Thunder God. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Without Matthew, it's not possible. So just come to watch him, if anything. Yeah, that's <laughs> all you need. So are you guys hopeful for the future state of music? And going beyond that, how about our nation and or world? Do you see a hopeful future ahead? Heck yeah. Music, sometimes music is all you have. Music and art movies that's what everyone goes to at the end of the day no matter how amazing or depressing the state of the nation is we all need art to experience and something to take us away to the place of our dreams i'm very hopeful for the future state of music i think that um it's very bright I've never subscribed to this whole doomsday theory and the end of the world kind of thing. And all we hear about lately is how these record labels are going out of business. People are file sharing and downloading music and the artists aren't getting compensated for their work. But at the same time, all this music is coming out right now. Absolutely. All this great music is happening and it's landing right in my studio and I'm buying all these great records. I'm hearing about stuff that I might not have heard about. Everything that's happening is completely positive and I'm excited about it. Within five minutes, I can be online, discover something that I've never heard before, go pay for it, download it, and I'm listening to the album. I think the future's very bright and it's exciting and I think that the pros far outweigh the cons. As far as our nation and world, you know, I'm, a, I'm an artist, I'm a musician. I think we'll leave that to someone else. Well, thanks guys. Really looking forward to seeing you perform Treasure Live. These are some great questions, Steve. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on your show. Thanks a lot, Steve. This has been great. <laughs>